All right, let's get into the word of the Lord this morning. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor to the reading of God's word. If you're able to stand, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Genesis chapter 4. I don't believe I've ever preached on this text, and so uh, we want to be able to share the word of the Lord with you this morning. Genesis 4. Uh, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Follow along in whatever translation or Bibles you have this morning. Uh, Beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented, I want you to catch these phrases now, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best, say the best, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Another translation says annoyed and hostile towards God, by the way. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if, say if, You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, "Let's, let's go out in the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and did what? Killed him. First murder in the Bible. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Another another translation says, Am I my brother's keeper? But the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You are now you are cursed. And banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you. No matter how hard you work. From now on you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. And so Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask God that you would speak to us today. Help us, Lord, to learn uh, from these brothers, Lord. Uh, It's a tale of two brothers. Help us to learn from these brothers, to learn from their motives and intentions. 
uh, what your best is, what your desire is for us in 2023. Have your way, touch our lives. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So in 1968, Frank Sinatra wrote and recorded a song that some of you, maybe all of you know, called, I Did It My Way. Anybody ever hear that one? And so today, if our text, if our biblical text this morning was a movie, his song would actually be the perfect musical soundtrack for it. It's a song that made Sinatra very famous, and it actually became kind of his theme song. Now, many people who knew Sinatra suspected that the song was part music and part autobiography. The lyrics are literally the determined voice of a man who had experienced a lot of ups and downs in life. Anybody experienced some ups and downs? But even when life didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to, he stood his ground and no one was going to tell him what to do. I did it my way, he writes. In the first verse it says, And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. But listen, the song, I, I Did It My Way, is more than Sinatra's theme. It's also the story of human nature this morning. But not just human nature in general. We're talking about your nature and my nature this morning. See, our insistence, yours and mine, on having it our way rather than God's way explains a lot of our human experience. Again, this song would make a perfect soundtrack. For our text. See, in Genesis chapter 4, we know that it is part of the preface of the Bible, and the preface is that section of a book that explains what is to come. And so you read the preface and you kind of find out what's, what's around the corner. To picture it another way, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are like the little uh, uh, legend in the corner of a map. The legend shows you how to tell up from down, it tells you where to start. And how to understand the little details, that's what the opening pages of the Bible do for you and me. And so if you skip it, you'll have trouble understanding what follows. And so in outline form, Genesis chapter 1 reveals the, the origin of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. Amen? It reveals the origin of the world that we live in. Life is not an accident. How many of you know life is not an accident? Genesis chapter 2 describes who we are, created in the image of God, special. It describes who we are and what sets humans apart from the rest of the universe. Genesis chapter 3 explains what went wrong. It explains what went wrong and why we live in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in the, the world that we live in is so different from our wishes and from our dreams. It analyzes the root of evil. Genesis chapter 4 pictures the fruit of that evil. See, disobeying God has its consequences. How many of you know that disobeying God has its consequences? So not, not all of those consequences are immediate. And sometimes our children will reap what we sow as parents. And so we've got to be careful, right? 
in Act, in, in, in Act 1 of our story, it begins with the birth of two brothers. In Genesis chapter 4, it really picks up where Genesis 3 ends. We know that sin had entered God's perfect world. How many of you know that God created the world and it was perfect? And then Adam and Eve came along and they messed it up. I've said before, some of us have some words to say with Adam and Eve, right? So we know that sin had entered God's perfect world. It came in through an open window near the dark corner where God's rule and man's freedom meet. Listen, both sides of that equation are true, by the way. God is in control. How many of you know that God is in control? And yet he loves us enough to allow us uh, the freedom to, to be able to freely choose whether we're going to love him back or not. And the first parents of the world, they chose poorly. They disobeyed God. And so Adam and Eve, they no longer lived in that paradise that God had uh, created for them. Their children were born and raised where all families of the earth now lived after being expelled from, from Eden outside of Eden. Adam and Eve left the garden, but did you know they didn't lose hope? Adam and Eve, they, they left the garden, but they didn't lose hope because God had promised that someday, one day, a child would be born that would change the entire course of human history. He would undo the evil that had been loosed in Genesis by their sin. And now listen, we, we don't know all that was going through Eve's mind, as a mother especially, but when her first child was born, she seemed to think that maybe her child was it. This is it. This is it. In fact, she named him Cain, a word which means gotten or acquired. And so Eve, she, she saw her firstborn son as God's gift and her solution. She clearly hoped that he was the promised deliverer that, 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 that her heavenly father had spoken of. But by the time her second son came along, Eve no longer voices the same hope. All right, she names her next son Abel. And his name is related to, to a word that means vanity or vapor. And so acquired or gotten in, 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 in uh, Cain and vanity or vapor in Abel. By her choice, Eve is actually giving us a preview to the summary of the book of Ecclesiastes uh, talking about life's futility. So vanity of vanity, all is vanity. We learned that in, in, in Ecclesiastes. And when she names Abel, that's what she's got on her mind, that she's lacking hope. Or maybe James, the book of James, reminder that life is but a vapor or a mist. Here for a little while and then quickly gone. And so Eve, she, she began her family with great hope and then reality kicked in. And that's, uh, that's the way it is for us. Many times for many of our families, do you remember, uh, some of you parents, do you remember all of the pictures of child number one? And this, listen, this may not prove true in every single case, but I have three boys and I'm a, 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 you know, a, a, very much in this line. Uh, in my family, Alex got a ton of pictures. Alex got a ton of video. Alex got a ton of attention because why? He was the first. The baby book records every little detail. First burp. First crawl. First walk. But then baby number two comes along, and the pictures are a little fewer. 
They're a little farther in between. Anybody guilty of that besides me this morning? In fact, the scrapbook now only contains highlights. And so if number three comes along, by the time number three comes along, the new has worn off and mom and dad are worn out. And so number three, if you have a number three, is lucky to even have a couple of spare pages in the back of number two scrapbook. I mean, who has time to take pictures, that many pictures anyway? I wonder how Eve's change of attitude affected her two boys. We will never know for sure. Perhaps Cain grew up pampered and proud, entitled, convinced that he couldn't do anything wrong. And maybe Abel couldn't do anything right. Possibly the object of his parents' frustrations. We do know that Cain works on, uh, on the family farm. His younger brother ends up in the back 40 uh, herding uh, the sheep and two brothers born of the same parents and raised by, in the same family and yet they were so different. I can say that with my boys. I'm sure many of you parents can say that of your children. They are not identical. They are not the same. Sometimes it's like, oh, you're awesome. It's like, where did you come from? Oh, that is great. Oh, my goodness, I have to tell your father what you did. They're not all the same. It's interesting that way. Very interesting. They were just as different on the inside, too. See, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, the prodigal son and the elder brother. This is not, not the last time we hear this story or others like it. And then act two of our story jumps forward at least a couple of decades. The two boys, they grew up. The day comes when the two sons, they go to church. And see, I want you to note that worship is, is wired into the human spirit. If you didn't know, you know now. You and I, we were created to worship. You and I, we were created to worship. The need to meet with God started in the garden. And now we know that sin twisted it, but it didn't eliminate. We are still created to worship. Men and women today are still driven to believe in something bigger than themselves. We either worship the creator, we either worship the creation, or we, we worship some pathetic substitute, but we cannot truly believe in nothing. Even the atheist worships themselves when they say they believe that God does not exist. As the ancients wrote, our hearts are forever restless until they find their rest in God. See, Cain and Abel, they, they knew worship. Listen, I want you to catch, catch this. Cain and Abel, they knew that worship was hollow and that it was empty without giving. We talked in the songs this morning about surrender. Worship is empty without that surrender. Worship is pointless without that giving of your life. The Bible talks about your life and my life being a living sacrifice. And if there is no sacrifice in your worship, then maybe what you think is worship is not real worship and it will be rejected. So Cain and Abel, they knew that... It, Worship was hollow and empty without giving. They each brought offerings. You saw that in the scripture, right? They each had an offering. Cain, the farmer, he brought the fruit of the harvest. Abel, the herdsman, killed and slaughtered the firstborn of his flocks. He brought the best he had in worship. Did you catch it? Cain brought some. Abel brought the best. 
Cain brought some, Abel brought the best. We're not told many details, but we know this much. God was pleased with Abel, but not with Cain. And most importantly, Cain knew it. And so why? Why the difference in God's response, after all, isn't all religion the same? Isn't one expression of worship just as good as another? Apparently, God does not think so. A few possible explanations have been suggested for God's displeasure. First, the two offerings may have been uh, representative of a different level of commitment, right? Some people have said that, that that Abel's sacrifice was accepted because he had great commitment. Cain's was rejected because his commitment really wasn't that great. Cain offered the fruit of his labors. Abel Abel sacrificed a life. There is a pronounced difference between those two gifts, between those two offerings. It's sort of like the old joke about the pig and the chicken. I've said it before. You've heard it by others before. The pig and the chicken, they saw a sign requesting donations for a a benefit ham ham and egg breakfast. The chicken suggested that that they should help out. That's easy for you to say, replied the pig. For you, it's just a donation. For me, it's a self-sacrifice. But easy, cheap, and convenient worship seldom impresses God. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, King David said, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. I want to say that again. I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that have cost me nothing. What does your worship this morning cost you? What is your life for Jesus costing you? Is it cheap? Is it convenient? Is it easy? Your life should be a living sacrifice. Surrender to him. I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. No wonder the Lord called him, King David, a man after his own heart. God delights in authentic, committed worship. But listen, there's another related factor in in this. The Old Testament insists that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, right? And the entire Old Testament system of sacrifices, we know that the Passover, uh, the Day of Atonement, and the, all of the rest was in anticipation of the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was to come. The Messiah was coming, and so everything was a foreshadow of what was to come. And so throughout history, God was preparing a people who understood the seriousness of sin. We know that sin demands life. Sin demands life. It demands either the life of the sinner himself or a substitute. Therefore, a bloodless sacrifice cheapens sin, and maybe Cain was the first to try that shortcut. Another thing to be reminded is that God's response may have been prompted by something else entirely. The New Testament explains the difference between Cain and Abel this way. Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith. Say by faith. One more time, by faith. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. See, God rejected Cain's character as well as his sacrifice. Abel's offering was overflowing It was an overflow of of a, a believing life. Cain went through the motions. His heart maybe wasn't in it. His life didn't back up his actions. And God knows the difference even when when others don't. And so by faith, God was pleased with Abel's offering and displeased with Cain's. 
1 John 3.12 warns, Do not be like Cain. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's actions were righteous. Listen, this brings us to the third act of this little story. Cain knew that God was not pleased with him. But what's a person to do when that happens? What's a person to do? What's Cain to do? God is not pleased with my offering. God is not pleased with my gift. And furthermore, God is not pleased with me. What's a person to do? He can either own up to the problem. He can acknowledge the error of his ways. He can ask for forgiveness and pledge to do better the next time he could. Or he can get mad. He can blame God. He can feel sorry for himself. Sadly, that's the way of Cain. But the Lord offers Cain some advice in Genesis 4, 6. Go back there. He says, why are you angry, Cain? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, no one toys with sin and wins. No one toys with sin and wins. Insisting on doing life your way doesn't make us free. It simply produces a less merciful master. Cain's anger takes over control. Anger always does. It's his way or else. Cain murders his brother Abel as a result. He invites him to a, his brother to a secluded field, and Abel never sees it coming. Cain does the unthinkable. Imagine killing your own brother, killing your own flesh and blood. Does he think that, that this is going to solve the problem somehow? Does he, does he make his offering any more worthy or, or God's opinion of him any better? It doesn't make, any, it doesn't make sense. But sin and anger never make sense. Then God confronts him. Where's your brother? Where's your brother? As if God didn't already know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I his guard? Am I to watch over him every moment? Plead ignorance and maybe the problem will go away. That's a common human strategy, by the way. It didn't work then and it doesn't work now. Cain eliminated his brother, but he couldn't eliminate the judgment of God. Cain was defiant to the very end, and so God sentenced him to wander. To the end of his days, Cain would have sang with Sinatra, for what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way, and Cain did it his way. I hope this morning you're not doing it your way, but God's way. See, the rest of Genesis 4 tells how Cain's children, how Ch Cain's children uh, and his children's children continue to walk the path that he had blazed. With every generation, Eden grew fainter. Worship team, come back. Listen, our text from Genesis chapter 4 gave birth to another famous story. Some of you may have read it in high school or, or, or college, uh, a college literature class. Others have seen the movie with, with James Dean. 
John Steinbeck, who would later win the Nobel Prize for Literature, he wrote such classics as The Grapes of Wrath or Of Mice and Men. Anybody hear of these books and or movies, right? But the, the novel Steinbeck considered his most important was called East of Eden. The title, do you know where the title comes from? comes from the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of, of Nod, east of Eden. And Steinbeck wrote the, the book for his two sons. The boys lived with their mother who, whom Steinbeck had divorced and he seldom saw them, but he thought of them very often. And he explained, I am choosing to write this book for my sons. They have no background in world literature. They don't know the great stories of the world as, as, as we do. And so I will tell them one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest story of all, the story of good and evil, of strength and weakness, of love and hate, of beauty and ugliness. See, the book traces the lives of two families from the Civil War to World War I, and behind their stories is a story of Cain and Abel. At one point, Steinbeck has the narrator in East of Eden explain, humans are caught in their lives, in their thoughts, in their hungers and ambitions, in their avarice and cruelty, and in their kindness and generosity too, in a net of good and evil. And Steinbeck said, we only have one story. He referred to the story of evil's unavoidable consequences. But Steinbeck was right, and yet he was wrong. We do live in the shadow of Cain and Abel. That happened, that was real. But he was wrong when he says that it was the only story. See, there's another one that Steinbeck missed. It would be very a very sad world if all that we knew was the story of Cain's jealousy, his anger, and his revenge. But there's another story that offers hope this morning. See, uh, it's the story of Christ that reverses the story of Cain. See, a thousand years later, thousands of years later, God kept the promise that Eve expected in her firstborn son. The Deliverer had come, Emmanuel. The Messiah had come, Jesus. And so in another garden and in another place, Christ would reverse the stain of the first garden. Instead of, I did it my way, the Savior pleaded, not my will but yours be done. And on one very dark Friday, a good Friday in fact, He offered His own life as a sacrifice of blood and redemption. And then three days later, we know that God raised him from the dead. And to all who follow him in faith, he offers something so much better than Eden. Listen to how the Bible explains our future in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better, a better word than the blood of Abel. It's a tale of two brothers. It's a tale of two hearts, two gifts. 
and a faith that pleases God. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I have been thinking about this story for some time now. Cain and Abel, one accepted and one rejected. Both brought gifts. Both brought an offering. So many of us, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, we, we bring an offering. We bring a gift. We, we bring what, we'd, we, we, what we would call a sacrifice of praise. But is it really a sacrifice? Or is it easy and convenient and according to our will? And so I say all, all, all the time, God search me. God search me. Search my heart. Search my mind. I don't want to offer something that doesn't please God. I don't want to offer something cheap or just convenient. I want to make sure that my life is a life of worship. I want to make sure that my life is a life of surrender. I want to make sure that I'm not, I'm not compromising on that and maybe excusing it by Sunday church attendance. It takes a week, seven days, 365 days a year of service to Jesus, a life dedicated unto Him to really know what a life of worship is. It's not selective. It's not a Sunday-only thing. It's not a Sunday-only religion. It's not a Sunday-only relationship. It's all the time, or at least it should be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We think on the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. We think about the measured difference. We think about the one that was accepted and the one that was rejected. And God, we would say, Lord, we want our sacrifice to be accepted. We want our lives to be accepted. We want our worship to be accepted. Help us, Lord, to live a life of surrender to live a life committed unto you, to please you and only you, to live for you every day of our lives, and to live a life of surrender to you. Help us each and every day, Lord, to live a surrendered life, to live a life of faith, to live a life of worship. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen.